This is an emergency message. A test alert 3 has been declared. A landing Airbus of 320 has hit a Cessna 182 on runway 2, 3, right. This is an exercise drill only. Airport location, TYS. Severity, emergency. Welcome to our special edition of From the Runway Ups podcast. We just recently had the wonderful experience of going through a full-scale emergency exercise at McGee Tyson Airport. We're only required to do that by the FAA every three years. And because of the situation and because we were doing it and it's so unique, we thought it was a great opportunity to talk to people who volunteer. And we're joined today with people who are running that exercise for our airport so that we can talk about the importance of that kind of drill, not only to the airport, but also to the mutual aid organization that partner with us in the emergency response if something should happen at our facility and with the Red Cross and community volunteers. So today we're joined with Kelly Simmerly. She's a lieutenant in our public safety department and we are here with Tom Aiken, who is our chief of the public safety department. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's just get started with the conversation. This In October of this year, we just had our full-scale drill or emergency exercise. So tell us about what that is and why we're required to do it. The Federal Aviation Regulation certifies all of the nation's commercial airports. And so every airport has to have a emergency response plan. And the Class 1 airports uh, have to exercise uh, that plan every 36 months or three years. Uh, so there is the term triennial. And we have traditionally had our full-scale exercise in the month of October. Well, and we enjoy having it in October because it's not too hot, and generally it's not too cold, and we try to shoot for not during a football game. So it works out great for us. But it was a little cold. It was a little cold, maybe this time around. But you've gone through, both of you, several different versions of this, either in tabletop version or through a full-scale emergency exercise like this. How do they differentiate between the two, and why are we required to do both? The tabletop exercise is a best practice preface to the full scale. You would not want to bring multi-agencies and hundreds and hundreds of volunteers and emergency service responders to a full scale without first going through the scenario, without going through all the things that are unique to that particular drill. As you indicated, we do alternate the scenario between on-airport and off-airport because if the aircraft incident accident occurred off the airport, then that meant one of the local municipal or county agencies would have the lead role. And if it's on the airport, then the airport authority has the lead role. So we alternate to make sure that we practice both scenarios. Well, and it's just part of a bigger training program that our public safety department goes through to be prepared for emergencies at our facility. Why does the FAA require us to do this and to keep such detailed records of all the training that you have to go through? This requirement was promulgated in 1988, so our first full-scale to comply with FAR 139-325 was in 1988. As a result of that, we have kept compliance with doing the annual review with all of the agencies that are listed in our plan, and then every three years having the full-scale exercise. And you've mentioned the mutual aid. How many organizations do we work with to make this happen? This particular drill, we had 15 agencies 
that were actually participating in the on-airport full-scale exercise. We had an additional nine agencies that were playing roles off-airport. So when you talk about the nine, you're talking about the hospitals. Uh, you're also talking about the uh, the public health support agencies that would track the patients and, and assist with transportation and patient tracking. So when you take the 15 here and you add the nine, that gives you an indication of the of the number of agencies that were participating either on airport or in their particular location uh, that were uh, helping us achieve our objectives on Saturday the 27th. Well, and from that perspective, that's a lot of people to try to coordinate and, and get together. And so in that regard, what do the drills look at testing? Communications between the groups, transportation? I know sitting in a meeting preparing for this, we discussed how hospitals this time of year are full of flu patients. And sometimes adding additional patients if an emergency like this would really be taxing and how transport could be different. So what do you all work with them on trying to work out ahead of time so that you're not working it out during an emergency? The emergency response plan, it indicates the agencies that are listed as well as their particular roles. So the purpose of the full-scale exercise is to test not only the airport plan, but the Knoxville and Knox County and the Blunt County plans, as well as the American Red Cross, has uh, reference to the airport. And so what we are doing is trying to give all of those plans an exercise, if you will. Uh, in addition to that, our objectives are first to determine that we can, in a very quick fashion, we can notify all of the agencies. So that's one objective. Then we have an objective concerning their response. So we need to tell them where to respond to. So we give them the identity and the location of the staging area, the entry point to the airport, the staging area. And then after that, we establish the command post. We communicate that command post location. We then get into the patients. It's those who are injured. And the triage has three categories. Uh, category one, which is the more severely injured. Category two, which is the less severe injury. And then category three, which are the, if you will, the walking wounded or those that they may be injured, but it's not life-threatening and does not require an immediate intervention. Uh, so we, we're testing the, the treatment area where it is placed. We then triage. We uh, track the patients, and then we transport them. So in essence, after we've established the entry control point, the command point location, then we turn our attention to uh, the patients, to those who are injured in the scenario. And so from that point forward, everything is to provide the rescue, to provide the treatment, and to provide the transportation to a hospital. Wow. So you mentioned the scenario. Kelly, can you tell us a little bit about what this scenario was for this drill? We had the largest aircraft that comes into our airport, which is an Airbus, and there was a collision on the runway with a Cessna. Which is a smaller. A small, a very small aircraft, a personal aircraft. When it comes to scenarios, you change it up every time so that you're practicing something different when you have to do this. I know that you were very involved in helping to recruit the people who would be on the largest airplane that's out here. What are some of the challenges in getting people to volunteer their Saturday mornings to come out and spend hours with us so that we can satisfy requirements of the FAA. We want everyone to have fun and we want them to know that they're going to have fun. This will keep them volunteering 
in in the future. You guys offer great goodie bags and everyone gets a t-shirt and I got the privilege. I, I get to arrange the snacks and the coffee and the donuts and we always have tons of donuts and that's a that's a fun thing. <laughs> Since it's so close to Halloween, then we get all into the moulage. And for those that don't know, moulage is... It, it is makeup um, to make them look like they are zombies. We want them to have <laughs> as realistic looking wounds as they possibly can. And AMR is told, the chief tells them, look at their tag because everyone has a tag and it has their priority of care and they are told look at the tag when you are triaging these people do not look at their wounds because we had a little girl this time she was adorable she was I mean, and she she made everybody's day because she had so much fun yeah with it. and she had a bone and sticking out yeah yes, that was a q-tip she was proud <laughs> of that bone the bone yeah. was a cotton swab but yeah. we 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 spend weeks playing with the makeup before and making the makeup out of simple items that you can get at walmart and we use the halloween blood and we actually cooked it and the it up with cornstarch so that it looked a little bit more realistic. It had clotting and everything. And the little girl, <laughs> she she was very timid at first, and she just wanted a little bruise. And then when she saw how much fun she was having and so much attention, then she just kept coming back and kept coming back and <laughs> and wanting wanted more. She told me multiple times she had six, so yeah. she had six different wounds. Yes. She was yeah. proud of. And so this year was a little bit yeah. different. Who was actually moulaging our victims this year? We were contacted by it's um, health science Brooke Everett at um, Alcoa High School, and which the kids needed volunteer hours, and we offered them their volunteer hours. And a lot of the teenagers and college age kids will volunteer for that reason alone. I went over myself, and another officer went over and taught the kids on the Monday before the disaster drill how to do the moulage, how to apply it. It was a very fun class. I left supplies with them and told them just to have fun with it all week long, and they did. And so those kids came up ready to have some fun, and they did. And and that's what we we told all the volunteers, just have fun with it. And and those kids rocked it. We had several comments that that was the best moulage, and these were people that have done a lot of <laughs> of disaster drills, and they were they were saying that's the best moulage I've ever seen. Well, that's good. And we actually interviewed some of the the victims, some of our volunteers on that Saturday. And I think that is one of the things that resonated with me is this is becoming like a tradition for people. They look forward to this every three years, which is a great sign that they love being moulaged. And I think they like being involved in the bigger picture of the drill too. So let's take a listen into those interviews. So can you talk to us a little bit about why you get up so early uh, for the past how many years have you have you done this? this this is the third time that i've done it and okay. i was telling my son who's 18 that this is one of the things that we do together over the last 10 years the first time we just did it for fun trying to serve the community and now it's it's kind of part of what we do that's awesome so it's kind of like a tradition yeah have you ever been moulaged before? I have the first time. I chose not to today because I've got somewhere to go right after uh, I get finished. Don't want to scare. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and your son is getting moulaged today, right? He is. He looks like he's been in a, a plane crash. Oh, cool. So other than just making it a tradition and doing this with your son, anything else that you really like about volunteering for I, our triennial? It, it's just serving the community. It feels that being a part of the airport just feels like part of the community. And I went through Aviation Academy, gosh, five or seven years ago, and got a behind-the-scenes look at 
the airport and the people that serve, the National Guard, and it just made me feel like I wanted to be part of this. So that was Neil Reinhardt. He is one of our Aviation Academy alumni. And if you're interested in the Aviation Academy, we actually have a previous podcast that talks all about the program that the Airport Authority puts on. So now let's change gears and listen to another one of our volunteers. My name is Hemel Taylor, and I am the Upper School Director of Community Service for Webb School of Knoxville. We have about 21 students here today for the emergency drill. And so you're telling me 21 high school students woke up and were at the airport at 6 a.m. on a Saturday. Absolutely. Not only that, I had 20 on a wait list. So this is the most popular, without a doubt, most popular community service project there is. Good. So why do your students love it so much? I think they love it because they're a part of the bigger picture. They get to get up, they get makeup on, and they're just a group of students that love to be a part of that team. That's so great. And so most of them did get moolahed this morning, right? Yes, they 100% got moolahed this morning. And they're a little excited about it. <laughs> they're very excited about it, yes. What other reason would upper school students, I mean, these are high school students that normally do not get up for anything, right. but they are all here on time because they are that excited. And then they also get community service hours. Yes, they do. Right? Yeah, they do. Each student has to do 15 hours of community service, and a lot of these students actually have already committed their 15 hours. And so all the students will go back and brag about how much fun they Absolutely. Absolutely, and there'll be a wait list come three years from now. Awesome. Well, I hope you have fun. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's amazing why and how people choose to get involved with something of this scale. And there's a lot of these types of drills that go on in the community that people can volunteer and be a part of. And we are very appreciative of all the people who take their time to volunteer and be involved with us. I noticed that this year for us in particular, we had a lot of students from Webb High School who came. They actually were begging us to add more people we waitlisted for them. Do you see, Kelly, that when your volunteer list, does it change every time? Is it a, the same group of people or is it your tried and true traditionalists who want to be a part of that tradition? A few of them are the tried and true and they've done it before and they look forward to it every time. There were a lot of newbies this time and they absolutely cannot wait to, I've had several of them say, you make sure I know about it next time. I, I really enjoyed it and they love seeing all the emergency response units working together. They love being out on the airfield and seeing how it works. So I think it was impressive to a lot of these people that if we called them for anything, they would be more than happy to help. True volunteers. (laughs) Well, there's the donuts, you know. Yeah, (laughs) that's why I came, you know. (laughs) Well, good. I I know that What happens behind the scenes for us in our planning process from an emergency response is through your department, but then other departments take opportunities to practice our craft and involved in this drill as well. For us in the public relations and communications department, uh, we actually ran a simultaneous drill so that we could test social media in regards to how it would be going on if we were putting out messages and how we might be able to dictate and listen in at incident command and know what's something that can be put out and what's information that's useful for the public and, and being in that involved situation. So, Caitlin, you got to sit in and as part of that. How hard was that to determine what you needed to do? 
I think it was a really good drill that I was at incident command because it was, I was hearing all of the information as it came through, you know, for example, there was a congressman on the flight that we found out about. (laughs) Um, So it was interesting for me. It was nice to say, okay, that's, you know, proprietary information. I don't need to tweet that out that we have a congressman on on the flight. So um, it was really neat. And then Becky was over with the media, which we would also be handling during an incident. And I actually text Becky and I said, we need to pull our website down. We need to go to a black site. And Becky said, is this part of the drill or are you being serious? <laughs> because she didn't put test in front of it. You're supposed to put test in front of everything when you're doing this. So it was it was really good for us, I think, to implement our crisis plan with the media and with Twitter. And it was really neat, too. I was able to ride with our engineering department and see them, you know, taking the pictures and working with the debris. So it's really nice for us all to kind of practice what we would do. Hopefully we never have to implement what we what we practice, but I think it's very beneficial. Well, and one of the things too that is sort of new to our role is working with the Red Cross. Tom, can you tell us about how the Red Cross has become involved in this? Yes, as you indicated, Congress passed the Family Assistance Act. I believe it was after TW800. And the Red Cross has two primary roles. One is family assistance, and the second is family reunification. The family assistance is the earliest of the two, and that would take the family member who responds to the airport or responds to any location that is identified as a gathering point, and they actually are able to facilitate the family member finding their family member who is passenger on the aircraft uh, who is receiving medical treatment. And then the family reunification comes later. And that would be for the non-injured family members that may have to uh, have uh, medical care, but it does not require transportation and hospitalization. And so they will also facilitate reunifying the passenger that was not transported with the family member. So this is now the second time that we have tried this. And what we were able to do was to to show that the system uh, that uh, tracks a patient from the time that they're entered into the medical treatment area, triaged, packaged for transport, and transported, then the uh, the hospital staff is able to positively identify that person, and then that is communicated back to the Red Cross so that the family can be reunified, so that the family can be told uh, where their you know their family member is at, and the Red Cross working with the airline, they facilitate transportation or anything else they need so that they can go to the hospital and and be there for their family. Yeah, and we actually spoke with a lady from the Red Cross and she told us a little bit more about what their role was on Saturday. And then we also had volunteers that acted as distraught family members. And I think we had a few volunteers that really went above and beyond. (laughs) They take it very seriously. But let's listen to see what the Red Cross had to say. Kristen Manuel, and I'm the Disaster Program Manager with the American Red Cross. Our role here with the Disaster Drills, we're mandated to help support and provide a family and friends reception area during the first three hours of a post-disaster situation, and then move into a family reception area where we provide needs, information gathering, health service needs, mental health needs, for those family and friends of victims and survivors in a crash, and then for those that are able to leave the crash site and then gather here before they end up heading somewhere else with family and friends. So if there was an aircraft incident here at McGee-Tyson Airport and there were family members that had 
a loved one on that flight, they would show up at the airport and that is where your responsibility would kick in. They would come into the airports and then security actually would screen them to find out whether they were able to go into that family and friends area or not because it's a private area. We want it to be a place that is secure. We want it to be a place where we are able to work with those that are related, whether they're family or whether they're friends, in order to keep them calm and help them through the situation while this whole thing is transpiring. Today, we simulated having that family and friends area. We also simulated having some people who became maybe a little overly stressed during that situation. Maybe they had some sort of blood pressure issue or whether they just were really stressed and needed some help with our mental health professionals. And so you were actually out on the simulated crash site today, right? So tell me a little bit about that. I thought it was awesome. Actually, I thought I had the best part of it. It was really neat because it was able to give us a total understanding of how methodical and detailed this entire effort is. It's not about one organization. It's about all these organizations truly planning and making this as meticulous as it is. I thought it worked well. I learned so much during this situation, and I definitely look forward to learning more. It also helped me relay to my people here what was going on so they can understand when we did have people that came in from the site that they can understand a little more of what they were seeing, what they were going through, and it helped them provide better care on this end. It was a pleasure working with Miss Emanuel and the rest of the Red Cross staff as part of this emergency drill and looking at all the facets of what we would need to help prepare for in case of an emergency is really critical to an airport. So as we're wrapping up today, is there anything that each of you would like to say maybe you've learned or you would like the community to know about a exercise of this magnitude and its importance to our area. I would like the community to know that this is a continuing process. This is not something that we only touch uh, once every three years. This process continues. Uh, we, are, we will work with the airlines, lessons learned. We will constantly make sure that our communication is correct so that we can make the initial notification. And uh, we really appreciate the volunteers that have helped us because in order to get cast of hundreds, emergency responders and volunteers together, it takes a tremendous amount of effort. So I want to thank everyone that was involved. I remember what you said, Tom, during the briefing was you thanked all the volunteers for being there that early because they were benefiting all the 2 million passengers that we have come through this facility every day. And so I think it's worth getting up that early. It's worth putting the makeup on and being there just because it's not just for the safety department. It's for everyone that comes in and out of our facility. What about you, Kelly? Any last words? I had a blast with those Alcoa High School kids. And we also had a group from Webb that came out and volunteered. All of those kids absolutely rocked (laughs) what they were doing, and they have very bright futures ahead of them. And I know the kids from Alcoa, they are working toward their EMR license while in high school. And so I'm impressed with that, that they have something that they're really going forward with. We learn things daily. We talk about things daily. We talk with the other departments and find out how we can get better and better and hopefully we can just serve our public well. What I've learned from this whole thing is that it's not just a cliche that we say we number one priority for our airport is safety and security of the people who are traveling through or on the ground here at our airport. And so this type of exercise, even if it's tabletop, But especially when it's such a large scale effort, you really get a good sense of how much training goes into and and preparedness goes into uh, being ready in case something should happen. So next time, make sure that when we are looking for enough people to come out and do the airport, it sounds like it's a fun opportunity that means a lot to a lot of people. 
Thank you all so much for joining us on this special edition of our podcast. <laughs>